I have to be seen to be believed. That's not me saying that. That's, of course, Queen Elizabeth. And there is such truth in that. This is someone we never knew, and yet someone we knew. And we knew so much about this person because of the way they presented themselves to us in the world. A lot of that is about the things that Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II wore and the things that surrounded her. Uh, and if you if you look a little closer at the life of Queen Elizabeth through that, that lens of, of design, uh, we, we begin to to parse uh, the many ways that she made that world her own. Peter McNeil uh, is an award-winning design historian at the University of Technology, Sydney, uh, whose research pays particular attention to identity and material culture from the 18th century to the present day. Peter, welcome. Hello, how are you on this sad occasion? It is, and, and that is such a remarkable quote from the Queen, I have to be seen to be believed. Here is a, here is a person very conscious of their perception in the world and how they portray themselves. Yes, it's a fascinating quotation because it's also a, a riff on Elizabeth I, who said she had to be painted, but also progress around the country and be seen by the people. So you have there the combination of allowing yourself to be seen, which is also what we connect with glamour, and also putting out images and representations of yourself. And in a way, um, and just to begin with, with the way that she dressed herself in particular for public occasion, she adopted a uniform of a sort. It was a uniform with great variety, but a uniform nonetheless? Yes, it became a type of a template. Um, I feel that the Queen's dressing got better as she aged. And in fact, I was very startled years ago when Vivian Westwood said the Queen was the most fashionable woman in the world. You know, what did she really mean what by that? What did she mean by that? <laughs> yes, I think Westwood picked up on the fact that the Queen worked with certain archetypes. Um, there's a kind of concept that the French are very good at draping and soft fabric and the kind of things we associate with the Queen's evening wear. But the British have been brilliant at working with tweeds and woolens over the years. And of course, we've got that duality image of the Queen in our mind of the woman dressed in the evening dress and diamonds, often with references to the country or the place you might be visiting. And then the sporting woman wearing tweed and Vivian Westwood actually riffed herself as the Queen once with, with, with a headscarf. And the um, trans artist, Grayson Perry, also has dressed in that kind of manner of the Queen as countrywoman. She became such a recognisable silhouette. There's a, there's a lovely piece in the New York Times from Vanessa Friedman, and, and she makes the point that this, this silhouette of the Queen, her outline, and she describes it as a tiny woman in a hat with a handbag hanging off the crook of her arm. It's a thing that can be identified by silhouette, which means that the actresses that played Her Majesty could become her so instantly by simply adopting that shape, that outline, you know, that, that Emma Thompson or, or Claire Foy can be the Queen, despite their great difference, yes. because they could be that shape. Yes, they could adopt that silhouette. And also, of course, she was very skilled at working with jewel-like colours and particular colours that meant that wherever she went, she could be easily identified by the public. And that, that sense too, as you say, of, of adopting colour and, and, and design and shape according to the occasion, I mean, a memorable example of that, in, and this is such a big moment in the British monarchy, is, is visiting Ireland as Queen and popping out of the plane in bright green. Yes, very carefully thought through. And um, 
she clearly had a very close working relationship with her dresser who co-designed a lot of clothes for her, Angela Kelly, permitting her to publish a very personal kind of account of how that dressing worked and even how the Queen sourced her textiles because she liked to bargain, it seems. <laughs> Is that right? <laughs> yes, it's an extraordinary story. And of course, the Queen can't go to a bazaar or a souk when she's travelling. So if she's in a place like Singapore, the traders would come to her at the airport and she'd go through all the textiles and often like to bargain. But the really astonishing part is she'd ask for the tax back at the airport, meaning that the Royal Plane often nearly left late. Oh, bless. The courtiers have to run to the tax-free counter. And I think that there's a kind of a frugal austerity as well about aspects of the Queen Mm -hmm. being a young woman in the Depression and the war that also make her a very interesting person to think about a sort of rather frugal modernity, brisk modernity that um, people adopted in the second half of the last century. Yeah, well, that frugality is very much, that, that is a hallmark of her generation. It is, and in a way that I really feel that generation's concluded with her. Many of the people born in the mid-20s are sadly, they're all fading away right now. Mm. Um, and if you think about, you know, the dates, you know, the Festival of Britain, 1951, straight after the war, a very optimistic uh, image of technology, design, modernity for, for, a, for a post-war Britain. And then she, the, the thing she really loved was the Royal Yacht Britannia because these were interiors that she selected herself. So they're actually very interesting. What do we know about those interiors? Because yes, that, that's such, a, that's such a, a giveaway of the soul. It, it really is. Um, well, look, it's a particular type of uh, British, very British modernity, a little bit stiff for our taste, but things we all recognise, close-fitted carpets, which, you know, continue in images of the Queen's apartments right to the very end, low Danish-style furniture, bright coloured chintzes, you know, bright colours were associated with the Festival of Britain, angle-poised lamps, you know, built-in lighting. Mm. And her husband, the Duke of Edinburgh, of course, was fascinated by design, and he had uh, a very, very modern study built in Buckingham Palace where they would have spent a lot of time. He had a a very modern private apartment by Sir Hugh Casson, who was very involved with the Festival of Britain. And I don't think that that studio has ever been published, but the the Yacht Britannia can be visited today. Now it's been decommissioned. Well, of course, that was was a a difficult period in in her reign, the, the loss of that yacht. It meant so much to the royal family. Yes, I think partly because it's one of the few spaces she could completely personalise and do herself, uh, along with the carriages of the Royal Train, which, you know, they, they have a kind of motif, like blonde wood, you know, light veneered wood, things like that. The things we associate with, with a young a young well-to-do woman in the 50s who also liked to use Tupperware for her breakfast and washed up a plastic picnic set every now and again. Tupperware for the breakfast is that, as you say, that that sense of frugality or simplicity that that comes through there. Yes, and of course the other thing is that really the love of cars. You know, this is a woman who learned how to repair cars in the in the forces when she was young, yep. and um, tinkered with cars and drove herself often. Cars are such an important thing in the 20th century for women. They indicate, you know, I don't need men doing everything for me. Fascinating, I think, on that, that there's, level. There's, there's great awareness, though, of, of sort of the visual semiology around her life. And I, I'm, I recall a recent photo shoot, and this was after the invasion of Ukraine, where the Queen, of course, couldn't comment on that. But the flower arrangement was blue and yellow, the, the yes. colours of Ukraine. So she's, she's aware of the signs that she gives, and I'm... I'm 
I'm intrigued then about how she sort of formulates this this visual language of her dress. And it's one which, if we look at the period of her reign, so much changes in fashion, so much changes around her. But here is this stable sense that she cultivates so early in her life. Yes, very aware of, of image making as her uncle had been, the Duke of Windsor, that they were the first monarchs in the age of mechanical reproduction, that they were more likely to be filmed and photographed and painted. Um, All those small insignia, like the type of jewellery selected, the brooch worn, everybody knows the wonderful wattle brooch that she was very fond of that was given to her by by Australia. And uh, she often selected jewellery and accessories um, when she visited a country that would, you know, send out certain signals. And then, of course, there's the kind of etiquette. It used to be the etiquette of the fan in the 19th century, but she had the etiquette of the handbag. Yes. I wonder what was in that, really. <laughs> Do we ever... oh, probably all the things you need to walk around a very large residence. <laughs> Spectacles and a handkerchief, I would think. Lipstick, of course. Uh, she, you know, she, interesting, you know, she she was always very heavily made up. People who've met the Queen in the evening, always comment on the on her fabulous porcelain skin, but also the enormous amount of makeup she wore, which was almost like, in a way, like a theatrical makeup. Um, and I think that's an interesting mm. thing about her as well, that she's, in some ways, she's functioning in those evening public events and also in the daytime, very heavily made up. And I believe she did her makeup generally always herself. Um, uh, ready for the media and, and the occasion at all times. But then there's the contrast, and and if you you know you look at a, a, a bracket of pair of pictures that that sum up these styles, and you see this extraordinary transformation from the woman who, left to her own devices, is in a a kilt, a, a tweed jacket, and a walking stick and a head square, as against the the woman who appears in you know the the sort of formal finery. I, I suspect that the kilt is her preference. Oh, I would think so, yes. But you can see also there the, her kind of interest in doing the right thing in the right space at the right time, um, which is a, a very British attribute. Clothes are tools in a way for the Queen, if you think about it like that. And what do we know of the, the sort of the apparatus uh, around that to make that function? Um, I mean, you mentioned dresses, but there must be quite a team. Oh, uh, yes, she was very close to the personal dresser who maintained the wardrobe and also co-designed it. And there were, other, of course, many other designers that worked for the Queen. The Australians know Freddie Fox very well, who did a lot of millinery for the Queen. And, for example, uh, remember the wonderful cuddle pot and snuggle pie, pink hat with <laughs> gum nuts that she wore in Australia, a version of which is in a wonderful residence in Albury, Australia, right now. Um, so she was able, you uh, know, in, in some ways, I think there's also, she's well known for a sense of humour and her clothes have a jaunty playfulness to them at times, which is, which is also interesting. Yes, she's not taking herself, I mean, she's, she's, I mean, it's an interesting combination, isn't it, of being entirely aware of the impression that you give by the way you, you know, present yourself physically but, yeah, as you say, not taking that desperately seriously and, and, and well, not being afraid of the, the snuggle pot, cuddle pot is such a wonderful example, not being afraid of, of, of making, making a sort of an uncool statement with some of those things as well. Mm, yes, but also being very respectful to your hosts, where you are, what kind of situation you're in, that type of thing. 
championing British design, I suspect, was you know a, a part of the a part of the gig. Yes, and people were astonished when she took her seat with Anna Winter at the British uh, Fashion Awards on one occasion, wearing a kind of British version of a of a Chanel suit, looking very smart. Came in to su- surprise of the guests and sat down next to Anna Winter. So a kind of in, yeah, an endorsement that these these young designers are the people that provided her with the apparatus she needed all her life for kind of what was a working wardrobe. And yet keeping, we're very familiar with people doing that in a, in a far more sort of commercial and, and you know, influencer sense. But here is the, the ultimate influencer. Uh, and yet it's, it's managed with, with such decorum and grace. Yes, and very cleverly thought through. She has dozens and dozens of clear transparent umbrellas, but they are all edged with fabrics that coordinate with the rest of her wardrobe. That's amazing attention to detail, isn't it? (laughs) She can always be seen. She's always on display. I wonder, I mean, did did she think this through for herself is is my question, or or was she particularly well advised? I wonder how this, because it's such a study and it's so well maintained over such a long life in the public eye. Mm. Well, she had a, um, a long, in a way, a long history of understanding how to do this. Her mother, the late Queen Mother, was very aware of style politics and worked with designers like Norman Hartnell, for example, wearing a famous all-white wardrobe to France once when she had to go in mourning and felt that she couldn't wear black. And the French were just astonished to see this woman in a completely white wardrobe that all had to be remade overnight when a member of her family died. So the mm. Queen would have been very aware of all these, um, how important pu- public impressions are, and um, was dressed by Norman Hartnell as a young child herself. Always had, she always had very beautiful clothes, know, child-appropriate clothes, but... And it also moved with the times. You know, she stopped wearing fur in recent years. She only wore fake fur. I suspect she might have rather reluctantly given up her beautiful sables, but she, she always did what was necessary <laughs> to to be on the right side of history, you could say. You'd say, too, I mean, be, you know, growing, growing into that, I mean, her son is an interesting example, too. He is a, a very well-dressed man, is Charles. Oh, Charles is fascinating. I talked with someone at the, in one of the royal collections once and I said, you really should do an exhibition about Charles. And the response was, Charles won't really have that yet. He feels that this kind of thing is for the ladies. But Charles in recent years has used his comments about clothes and the way he re, has suits remade and repaired over many decades to further his um, interest in ecological and sustainable causes and has now hosted some fashion and wool events at Clarence House. So I think he is now Mm. very aware, I think, with younger generations who are very, very interested in style politics and dressed appearance and fashion systems that he, this is a really important space for him to enter. And and like his mother, though, he has, he has, you know, developed a a particular, a particular especially suited style. It's very much him and it's meticulously maintained. Yes, and about beautiful cloth and the fine tradition of, of English tailoring, but has also has developed a slightly jaunty air as well, um, and uh, you know wears things that are many decades you know old, has them renovated. So the kind of um, that's that's an interesting kind of um, um, English approach to dressing that he that he's promoting there. It's a, well, it embodies Englishness, but also that that timelessness and. To be timelessly stylish is I mean, that—that that is a very, very difficult juggle. 
Yes, and but also not to look dated and old-fashioned. Mm. It's mm. a very fine balancing act, and um, I think I'll be very interested to see how what kind of a design figure he is as a king. He is a very imp- interesting and important design patron. As you know, he's a very, very fine gardener. He's one of the loveliest late 20th century gardens, and he's always promoted ecological approach to plants and planting. And He employed a wonderful interior ensemblier or decorator, Robert Keim, and uh, he often exhibits really, really good taste. He also, of course, has been demonised by some people for stopping certain modern develops in, in downtown London. Yes. The famous carbuncles on London, for example. Uh, he, he will have to probably check his behaviour a little bit because he does like to exert his influence. But, well, but perhaps, you know, in, in the model of his mother, he will learn how to exert his influence with increasing subtlety. <laughs> yes, and I'm also fascinated to watch the emerging style politics of the Queen Consort, Camilla, who has been given in recent years by the Queen the extraordinary Mrs Greville diamonds that were formerly worn, worn by the Queen Mother, which um, are some of the most extravagant jewels in, in the private collection of the royal family. Once they were a gift around the Second World War from a wealthy brewer, brewer's brewing family. And Camilla's uh, appearance in these in recent years has been taken by many people to indicate that the Queen... She has the Queen's approval. So I think Camilla is a kind of um, tall, imposing, impressive-looking woman. Mm. It's going to be... I can't wait to see what she begins to wear. <laughs> well, all this lies before us, Peter. We will... <laughs> I'm sure one, one thing is certain. It will be, it will be made plain. and We, we will see it, it at will. all in the fullness and, um, of time. In, in some ways, it's much more interesting than anything happening in Hollywood or with some of the younger generation. You know, you can always watch these other people. Peter, thank you so very much. Great insights. Oh, great pleasure. Peter McNeil, design historian at the University of Technology, Sydney. This is Blueprint for Living on ABC RN with our, our friends of the program looking back and forward the life of the British royal family. Listen to more great stories that take you beyond the headlines. Ask your smart speaker to play ABC RN.